if you are trying to sell something that is not slipstreamed in the way we're already doing business, you're going to fail or it's going to not drive the value that you expect it to. If you say, hey, we're going to set up this super impressive process off to the side of every other process you do, I can promise you I know how that story is going to end. They might sell that product, but that's not going to be someone that's, that's, that's getting huge value. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Welcome to another episode of Leaders of B2B. I'm Ledge. I'm managing partner at Ad One Zero, one of the co-hosts here. And it's my pleasure to have John Milburn, CEO of Clear Sky, here with us today. John, welcome. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you and Clear Sky? No, great, great. Thanks, Ledge. It's it's a pleasure to be here. This is a lot of fun already. John Milburn, I am the CEO of Clear Sky. We're a relatively new uh, entrant into the identity governance and administration space. We can talk about why we're changing the world, I'm sure, in a little bit. You know, my backstory is I have been in the identity security space since 1999, four or five different companies, all uh, the same seat, but different owners. And I've gotten to see this space evolve from sort of an IT tool to something that is a lot more valuable to the business. And we're you know, looking forward to taking advantage of shifting markets and shifting ways of operating as we go into the future. So we talk about identity being what for those who are not, you know, kind of in the space. I, I know what it is and we all actually interact with this on a daily basis, probably a hundred times. But uh, for the layman, you know, in the audience, what what is identity and governance? Well, so, yeah, identity is a big space. It's like kind of like saying cybersecurity. Identity governance specifically is all around making sure that you know who has rights to what applications in your environment. And that sounds like a crazy, silly thing. But, you know, if you look at the average enterprise organization has, at this point, over 300 different applications in their enterprise estate. And each one of those has their own either account and passwords or for sure their own set of entitlements. And then you multiply that by tens of thousands of employees, contractors, partners that may have a need to get to that. And it becomes a pretty complicated scenario to sit with that auditor at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, and give them confidence that you do, in fact, know what John Smith has rights to across these 300 applicants. Yeah. And which John Smith? (laughs) 
Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I, well, look, anybody you know, at the startup level, I mean, I, I know, for example, like we are by no means an enterprise company. I just counted 16 different tools in our sales <laughs> tool chain, and every single one of those has a different identity management regime because we're too small to implement single sign-on. We don't have unified directory services of any sort. So, I mean, this is we're a startup with like eight people. Now imagine that the the ridiculous scale that some of this stuff goes into, and you do start to realize how you know on your first day you actually don't have access to all the stuff that you need access to because uh, it's quite an undertaking. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and you know, look after this call, we'll make you a sweet <laughs> deal. Uh, but but the problem is real, and and the really funny thing, Ledge, is the problem has been around for yeah. twenty plus years. And, you know, I don't talk to anybody and I've been in this space that long and I'm partly, I guess, part of the problem or have been. This market's a $5 billion market and I challenge you to find me someone that says we've solved this, whether they're a small company or Bank of America. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Even, uh, you know, for us, it's like, well, log in with Google. Like, well, I don't even know who the hell's in my Google instance unless I, you know, go and figure that out. We're still paying for that guy? Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah, man, I, I, yeah, I get it yeah. completely. So talk about, you got that 20 year, I guess, history then into this space. I'm sure you could tell all kinds of stories. Maybe, you know, pick a, pick a few major milestones along the path there, you know, that, that kind of got you where you are. You're in the CEO seat. A lot of people aspire to that or, or maybe wish that they had not, it's, you know, sort of aspired to it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I missed a couple meetings and was volunteered for different roles along the way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reward for a job well done is always another job, right? Yeah, so. no, I was real lucky. I, I started, I mean, I'm dating myself here. I started back in the in the era of a product called Banyan Vines, uh, which was one of the first sort of centralized directory services and, and went to work for a very small software company as a, as a field technician that was helping large organizations manage, manage that, that platform as Banyan Vines sort of gave way to this magical Microsoft Active Directory. Uh, our little company made that pivot in 2000. And that was really my entry into the base of identity and access management. You know, the first part is just getting people the rights to a username and a password to log in and being able to manage that, that sounds pretty basic. Once people get that, then they start using that those credentials for other application access. And then they find that they need to better automate how those rights are assigned. And then assign the same password to their personal Hotmail and their AOL account. Yeah. <laughs> Which is usually good for security, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the other thing that's interesting in this 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 world has changed. If you think back to 20 years ago, the average employee would have a need, and, and these are real stats, would have a need to access eight to 10 applications. So the early days of this were around centralized authentication and then automation. So Ledge gets hired. He's this kind of person he automatically gets access to these 10 applications. That's great. And then, you know, they might think about how do we automate what happens when he leaves? 
or when he gets a different role or any of that good stuff, but you're switching just a handful of dominoes around. Now, when any departmental head can swipe a credit card and get a new app, you know, that's hundreds of thousands of, uh, of possible applications. And, and the idea of automating all of that has almost become uh, a fantasy. Like there's some automation involved, but the reality is people work on different projects, different teams, matrix structures every day. A knowledge worker needs the ability to go to one place and ask for access to something new and have know that in the background, there's a process where the right people, not necessarily IT, is making decisions on whether they should have that. And so the, the, the space has shifted over the last decade or so going from automation focus to sort of knowledge worker facing and making sure that there's that just-in-time acknowledgement of the individual nuances of how we work every day. You know, you might be on a different project tomorrow and need access to different documents somewhere. You shouldn't have to wait. Yeah. And you know, this type of stuff, it flows like like water too. I mean, you know, so the the idea that the, the pipe dream that anybody controls this at all you know, against the the flow of human behavior in an organization. I mean, you, all you need to do is walk down to the marketing department and see that, you know, they signed up for 46 different things that IT wouldn't let them. And now they run it on their personal device and they say, <laughs> you know, to hell with you, basically, because you're always in the way. And then I know, you know, salespeople, forget it. We don't follow rules at all. We just want to get the deal done. So, you know, don't get in my way with, with that. So, I mean, it's it's a real democratization, which is actually more of a, a big red A for anarchy. And, you know, God bless anybody that tries to, to keep track of this. You are fighting human nature. And uh, I mean, how how do you even think of, you know, and do that in a way that that someone can't say, hey, you're impeding business? Boy, you obviously know more about this space than I expected. So that is absolutely where we've been. And it is a very challenging stance to take to build a wall, right? It's a, lot, it's a lot better to build a bridge and show people that we can make this easier for you. And, and that's one of the things that, that you know, our approach is to, to doing this is, quite frankly, sales team and marketing team, you can buy whatever you want. We're, we want to give you a way that you can participate in this process so that at least we won't see the company's name in the paper at the end of the year for some sort of terrible breach or some sort of terrible compliance violation. But you can buy right. what you want, and we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to onboard these applications to, to, to be governed. And also, you are the one that makes the decisions on day-to-day -day on who gets to access this. We're only providing you a mechanism to control and give visibility to the, those auditors and those risk people that ultimately have a pretty big part to play in a company's uh, future. And that's a really good leadership position to be able to take there. You can basically say, and you are basically saying, listen, we're all in this together. We don't want to grow up and be Equifax. Can everybody at least agree to that? You know, and you can appeal to the, appeal to the better nature of like, you know, marketing, sales, other people, you may not care about this, but I guarantee you, you care about our brand value because guess who's going to hang up on you when we have the next breach? And I think that's very wise to position into the mind of the, the user and to really align culturally around 
this issue from us. It's really a cybersecurity issue, but nobody cares about that. And so you're speaking the language of, of brand. You're speaking the language of culture. Yeah, and, and it's that culture of respectful governance that, that we're trying to press. Now, mind you, that goes out the window if you then say, and we're going to add six weeks between the time you decide to use an application and the time our team can can get you onboarded to our to our structure, and it's going to take two two weeks longer to to add new users to this. So there, there's a you you have to both tell that story and walk the walk, and you know we're we're very fortunate that we found a way of doing that. How does that? I mean, you're the leader, right? So. I suspect that walking the walk maybe is a story or a thread that you know you had to bring along with you if if someone becomes the CEO of something walking the walk would have been a consistent story over the, the maybe the 20 years so what's that theme look like and sound like to you you know when you you have sort of that full looking back perspective of the 20 years I <laughs> uh, are you are you trying to ply me for what mistakes I've made along the way? Because there's been none. Well, you can share those too. No, we love those there's, stories. There, there's been none. It's been it's been nothing but home runs uh, every step of the way. No, I mean, look. Well, that's why we invited you here. You know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of demand to talk to us. So you know, we only talk to the winner. Oh, I know. <laughs> no, I mean, so walking the walk is. And I'm assuming we're talking about leadership perspective, not sort of product rationalization perspective. But in my case, I think it's important that they they overlap. Uh, you know, you never ask anyone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself, and you never make a decision that can't be operationalized, can't be repeated over and over and over again. And and that that's been sort of key learnings. Uh, as I've gone through the last 20 years, the, the sort of servant leader approach has really helped. And it was sort of hard learned. But if you're asking people to act in a way that you wouldn't, then that's going to show up in every aspect of your organization, both internally and externally. Yeah, yeah, well said. I agree. And it's been my similar learning and understanding and, and yet that temptation to come on admit it that you wanted to sign up for something and not run it through identity management you know this, this has happened uh you know there was a time when that was true but i have a real belief and this is going to sound corny like it doesn't take a lot to get some smart people together and develop a product and come up with a marketing message and go out and sell it it really truly doesn't and there are tens of thousands of software companies in the world, right? I am a firm believer, if I look at myself and my friends and colleagues that, that have had ups and downs, unless you believe the story that you're telling to a point where you can live it, you're not going to be as successful as we had the best think tank and marketing slogan in the world and a bunch of smart people and smart salespeople. They have to align. There has to be one dream and that has to live inside and outside the organization. Yeah. How do you do that as the integrator? Because you have to deal with people like me who are, you know, fundamental hunter salespeople. We want to close the deal. We're willing to do what it takes. You know, we might, we don't want to bend the rules, but we might, you know, at least kind of 
push on them a little bit to try to get that deal done. Then you got marketing and there, we don't know, you know, marketing is, is an interesting bunch of people and we got operations, we got customer success, we got, you know, developers, God bless them, engineers. I mean, there's just a lot of different types of humans and perspectives and all of whom, when you are up there, you know, they look at you and they're kind of saying, you know, okay, boss, like integrate us and point us in a common direction how do you do that yeah i mean that's that that is the leadership challenge right um the first thing we've already talked about unless you have core values that you repeat on a regular basis and you use as a framework for every decision it's very difficult to herd the cats right you know, is is that how is this going to benefit our customer? How is this going to benefit our bottom line? How is this going to benefit our reputation? Um, you know, there are very very easy values that you can incorporate and get everyone aligned to, and then that has to come up in every decision, every review, the way you give your report card at the end of every quarter and every year, and eventually. This is going to sound maybe more negative. The people that stay and want to be fight fighting next to you are going to align with that. And the people that don't agree with those values and those decision criteria, they will go find an organization that has values and, and decision criteria that won't. So, you know, the key values is, is one key important thing. Maybe even more important, though, I like your talk track about you know, I've got a customer success leader, I've got a sales leader, marketing leader, and they all have their own teams. They all have their very different individual goals and individual ways of looking at the world, engineering the same. Getting people to understand at that next layer down, that, that functional leader level, that the team, the, the C-level team, the functional leader team, that is your team not the team underneath you is pretty key because and I've seen this happen a million times. You've got strong leaders in all these functional positions and their teams love them and they'll fight for their team and they have their own agenda and all that. But you sit there at the quarterly board meeting or whatever it might be, and none of them are aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And so you've got great talented people whose employees probably love them who are all blaming the other functional groups for why the company is not successful when in fact that's a that's a leadership vacuum right yeah and, and you're up there kind of going well you know i see i see the quibbling i see the you know weird turf war kind of stuff and it does take that raw leadership kind of thing to to have a lot of responsibility flowing down you know from the top and kind of going you know hey we all own this and uh, these are, you know, I, I have a metaphor. I think of it as like the, the merry-go-round or the, the carousel at, at the park. You know, like every one of these functions is a horse, but it still has to go around and around and up and down and have bright lights and music. And uh, that integration, otherwise it's a, it's a metal horse that's, you know, rusting in the bushes. And uh, let's not lose, lose focus on this. No. <laughs> No one Sorry. piece of that is more important than any other piece. It's it's the unit that matters. Yeah, and I find myself I, – I love that, and I'm 
I don't know if I've signed anything, so I think I can probably steal that internally. Thank you for that. Um, I, I I'll send a, you the video. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I use a similar one where, you, you know, and this is a sports metaphor, but if I talk to one team and they're really fighting for something that benefits them, but not necessarily the other team, I said, you know, no one talks about the team that was strongest in punt returns last season. Like, do you know who that was? Who cares? There's, there's a shared goal and it's, you know, in the case of football, it's winning and losing. And we have our shared goals here. And this is the only way that we keep score. The rest of the stats are just statistics. Sure, sure. Along those lines, you know, the keeping score thing, I think it comes down to a lot of time. You, you can hear, you can hear OKRs and you can hear KPIs and, you know, all this jargon uh, about setting goals and we can call it, you know, what we want. But a big organization, small organization, whatever it is, you've got to pick what are the things that we measure uh, with priority, you know. And so what do you do there in a like well, there's we have talked to a lot of software leaders here, you know, and I think we we serve a lot of software leaders. So, you know, from a a metrics or KPI perspective, how do I know I'm heading in the right direction? What do you measure in in context of you know, maybe your top three things. Customer acquisition and, and rate of that compared to the market is, is the most important. The second would be, and we've got a couple of submetrics here, but but customer satisfaction. Look at the end of the day, especially in SaaS software, it's as important it's more important to keep that customer unhappy and reduce churn than it is to go out and get the next one. So you know, renewal rates, our reviews and various Gartner sites, whatever they might be, uh, that's a pretty key priority. And then, you know, we have some softer ones around our partnerships. So our space is big and complicated. We measure our success as much by the, the partners that we're able to transact through as the customers that we have. So, you know, Deloitte, Accenture's KPMG, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to get on their radar in our first year and, and, and develop the start of meaningful relationships. Those would be the top three. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, the partnership and sort of distribution track, the value added reseller, you know, all these types of things. It's so important in revenue development, you know, everybody comes, I know to us and talks about, you know, I want to do direct sales. I want to do direct sales. And like, well, all right, but like, let's talk about what that really looks like. Cause that's an incredible cost level to build the infrastructure and, and human capital. And just, you know, yeah, we can do that. But uh, my suggestion would be to you that, you know, maybe uh, a larger percentage of your revenue ought to come through, you know, deploying effective partnership programs because they're already selling it anyway and they need you. So let's go sell to them and tell them why it's beneficial that you ought to do, you know, our thing as instead of, you know, company X. And, and, you know, totally, totally agree. And this was a hard lesson learned. And I came from a company that probably spent 10 years too long in direct sales. The end customer prefers to buy that way too. They have their own trusted mm -hmm. advisors. They have their own you know, purchasing yeah. paradigms that they want to go through. Anything you do, and this is going back to walking the walk, if you are trying to sell something that is not slipstreamed in the way we're already doing business, 
you're going to fail or it's going to not drive the value that you expect it to. If you say, hey, we're going to set up this super impressive process off to the side of every other process you do, I can promise you I know how that story is going to end. They might sell that product, but that's not going to be someone that's 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 getting huge value. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that is it's a mistake that, that startups in particular make. I've seen some outstanding products that just can't get distribution because they insist on being, you know, not only category defining in the sense of the product, but, but we're going to disrupt, you know, all the things that make it possible to make revenue. Also, <laughs> I just please don't do that. You know, <laughs> so, it's pretty hard to be a category maker and, and also tell someone they have to change their business process. Like that's, it, you know, it, it's, it's very, very difficult. And that's, you know, we made a choice and I don't want to get too producty. I know that's not the, the, the way that you're doing <laughs> things here, but so many of these security challenges that have been out there for 20 years aren't technology problems. They are, how does this align with the people in process that our business already has? And, and one of the things that makes us unique, and again, I apologize for sounding too producty, is we built our product on another platform, which is the ServiceNow Now platform. And we chose to do that because, I don't know if you follow it, they're doing okay as a company. Uh, they're, they're, you know, explosive growth, even through the pandemic. And, and what organizations are using them for is this sort of, it's not just help desk or service desk or wherever they were 15 years ago. They are using this as the transformative central hub between IT and the lines of business across all areas, HR, security and risk, whatever it might be. So if they've already transformed their processes around this for a third of their IT to knowledge worker processes, we're giving them the opportunity to continue down that path that they've had success on as opposed to bolting on another thing, another standalone bunch of stuff on the side. So again, we're trying to tell the bridge versus the wall story in the way we deliver and develop the software as well. Yeah, I think I just read an article in TechCrunch the other day about ServiceNow and doubled their valuation over yeah, they're doing the okay. last year. They're doing okay. That's a that's an okay horse to hit your wagon to. <laughs> it's 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 been interesting. This is this is uh it's the first time I've done something like this that was sort of a barnacle on a whale. But uh, you know, we've learned we Yeah. And do they help you with too? Is that part of that that partner distribution then? Is it, if you use that platform to to build upon, does that help on the revenue side or is that primarily a product decision? Uh, it, so as a built on now independent software vendor, their 500 sales makers get paid to sell our stuff, it's sold on their store, uh, their partners can sell it. So yes, there is a benefit to us in distribution for sure. But, you know, the more important benefit is to the end customer who's getting to solve a problem they're getting to stream music on their phone instead of being sold a standalone MP3 player to solve the identity governance problem, which is what in so many areas security vendors are doing. Here's your brand new Zune. Now it has machine intelligence. Good luck duct taping right. it to your other processes. <laughs> right. Right. I have 
I have a lot of intelligent machines that are unintelligently <laughs> communicating with each other. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of intelligent humans that can't communicate either. So we have, we have succeeded in replicating yeah. ourselves into a bunch of, of silos made of, of metal and silicon so, and now serverless. So uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right. So take take this whole thing and tell me about the future now. You know, I've, we are reaching the psychological end of a year that everybody's happy to to be done with. Yet that is still a psychological barrier. So, you know, business goes on, planning goes on. What does what does the world look like for Clear Sky? You know, like point, paint me the visionary picture. Where do you want to be and, and how are you going to get there? Well, you know, I, I would say, I mean, it's been, a, it's been, it wasn't the year that anybody expected, right? So I won't, I won't dwell on that. But if you look at the results from ServiceNow and Salesforce and some of the other very large platforms, I, I think that points to the fact that this event that, that, that was 2020 has expedited the need for organizations to finally fix and streamline the things that they've been sort of knowingly limping along on and consolidate and improve their processes. You know, they no longer can depend on their employees being there. They can no longer depend on their customers coming to their physical location. So we can no longer limp along with, with processes that aren't automated and, and auditable. The vision for Clear Sky is we're going to continue to take advantage of that. We are the first ones in this space to offer the solution to a $5 billion market that is uh, streamlined into your processes. And if I go to the next year or so, I think you will find us offer the same solution on other platforms that are emerging that will be seen as similar hubs for for organizations you know salesforce is an obvious one they are moving more towards internal facing stuff as well as the customer facing stuff workday is out there i think sap is dabbling with some isv store type platforms so our, our focus in the future is going to be picking both the right spaces, whether it's identity governance, privilege management, uh, there's you know access management. There's a number of uh, spaces that are continually solved by these standalone, bigger and bigger silos that we believe we can help people transform on a number of platforms. Right now, ServiceNow is just the one that's the furthest along and makes the most sense. Fantastic. So, personal goals for the the coming year. You know, not everything is about business. So, where are you going in 2021? Uh, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to go sit face to face with the customer again. Uh, that, that's the most basic per personal goal. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to get my entire global team together in one room, which you know, right now we're in three continents and we, we live on zoom. In many cases, we haven't met each other. Uh, that, that's the, uh, downside of building, building a company in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, I just want to see this this vision come to fruition. We just, you know, we we started in March. We went from zero, cust well, two customers to 12 so far this year, another, another couple going. We hope to get to 50 by the end of next year. So once we get to that critical mass, we'll start to, to see, I think, the dominoes start to fall that 
people are going to realize that there's a better way to solve some of these problems. Personally, that matters to me. Fantastic. I love it. Well, oftentimes the audience will want to get in touch either for product or just because they think you're an interesting guy. So how do they how do they do that? Give a, give a little shout out for how you want to be contacted or how the business can be contacted? Well, we're at clearsky with an E.com or I am a John at clearsky.com and we're happy to to hear from anyone. Fantastic. Hey, well, thanks for joining us. It's awesome to have you on. Best of luck achieving all those visions and we look forward to being part of the story. Awesome. Ledge, this was an absolute pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.